When clients call and say that they believe that a Stark Law violation has occurred, and once we review that potential violation and confirm, then you need to consider whether or not to enter into the Stark Self-Referral Disclosure Protocol. In this episode, I'm going to talk about some of the settlements and the timing with respect to the settlements under the SRDP. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado... I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, today I'm going to talk a little bit about the self-referral disclosure protocol under the Stark Law. And I've talked about this protocol a lot in Stark Integrity. And in fact, uh, I'm going to give you uh, some of the episodes that I think would be advantageous for you to listen to in addition to this episode, obviously. Uh, The first one is on January the 5th of 2022 was an episode where I was talking about Stark remedies. So a lot of times clients will immediately jump to the conclusion that we have a Stark Law violation. In this episode, I go through some of the issues that you can consider to determine whether or not you actually do have a Stark Law violation. Like at its core, does Stark even apply? Uh, But you can listen to that episode and I have kind of a list of things to think about with respect to potential, potential air quotes, Stark Law violations. Next, on May 31st, 2022 episode, I talked about intent, uh, whether or not intent to enter into a financial arrangement is one of the conditions of the Stark Law applying, and I believe it is. Uh, Again, like for example, if uh, you have an anesthesiologist who steals drugs, uh, the broad definition of remuneration is whether or not that's a benefit. Well, Is it a benefit to the doctor? The answer is yes. But did the hospital recognize, permit, and condone the stealing of those drugs and entered into a financial arrangement with that anesthesiologist? And clearly, uh, the answer is no. So in that context, the Stark Law uh, would not apply. And then in August, August 10 of 2022, I walked through the self-referral disclosure protocol process. And so that is a good episode to kind of talk about you know, the disclosure, the process of the disclosure, before I get into you know, what has happened uh, with respect to the settlements and the timing of the settlements if you do decide to enter into the SRDP. So that we're all on the same page uh, with respect to the SRDP, you know, first off, it's voluntary. 
And now uh, CMS has a prescribed form that you need to fill out when you are going to enter into the SRDP. And if you decide to enter into the protocol, you want to make sure that you, if you're the client, are going to fully cooperate with CMS with respect to the review and also any potential settlement. So generally, according to this form, uh, you need to describe the nature of the noncompliance that's being reported. And again, CMS, under the self-referral disclosure protocol, they want what they believe or the reporter believes to be actual violations. This is not asking for an advisory opinion. So this is actually you have to set out the facts and circumstances and why you believe that the Stark Law was violated and according to the form, if you are a group practice reporting and the issue that is being reported is the noncompliance with the group practice definition, then there's a form that needs to be filled out regarding what component of the group practice definition was not complied with. And again, I have a few episodes on the group practice definition, which then aligns itself with the in-office ancillary services exception. You have to go through a financial analysis worksheet that identifies the referrals that are coming from the physicians who are, again, I'm going to put in air quotes, tainted. So these are physicians with whom an inappropriate financial arrangement has occurred that does not comply strictly with at least one Stark Law exception. And so you have to identify all of those referrals of, of Medicare and Medicaid services and identify you know what type of services inpatient and outpatient and the amount received from Medicare and Medicaid. And then you also have to have a certification by an officer within the organization that certifies the accuracy of the information being reported as well as the willingness of the organization to cooperate fully with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services with respect to any potential settlement. Then the SRDP has to be filed with CMS at an email address that they have provided to us, and that is 1877srdp at cms.hhs.gov. And then according to the instructions, you have an obligation after you file the SRDP to update the filing if facts and circumstances change from the date of filing through the point of settlement. And as further elaborated in my previous episodes on Stark Integrity and as stated on the CMS worksheet, there are factors that CMS will consider as it decides the amount of the settlement. Uh, which includes the nature and extent of the improper practice or why the arrangement did not fit within an exception. I mean, if it's a failure to have it in writing, obviously that would be a less uh, material of an infraction as compared to a fair market value or commercial reasonableness issue. Number two, the timeliness of the disclosure. Uh, number three, the cooperation that the disclosing entity provided to CMS as well as if there are financial circumstances that are impacting the entity reporting, then those facts and circumstances can be set forth and the government, CMS, can consider those factors as it is deciding the settlement. So that is a little bit of a background with respect to the disclosure protocol process. And uh, this process has been around quite some time, uh, since uh, 2011. 
And in my discussions with CMS and, and otherwise, I do not believe that CMS understood the magnitude of the compliance efforts and legal efforts to monitor Stark Law compliance in a designated health service entity like a hospital. I think that when Congress mandated that CMS come up with a protocol process, CMS did not believe that there were going to be a significant amount of disclosures that were re being reported to CMS and, oh, how they were wrong. <laughs> there was a lot of self-disclosures that took place. In fact, in my practice, I even filed a couple of self-disclosures before the formal disclosure protocol process was established, you know, after Congress authorized the protocol process. But CMS then sent those disclosures back to me, and we had to refile after CMS defined the protocol process by regulation. So the remaining part of this episode, I'm going to be talking about the number of disclosures settled, uh, the aggregate amount of the settlements uh, about you know, by year, and the average amounts, as well as the timing of the settlement. So let me just hit timing first. Uh, a lot of times clients will say, well, after we file the disclosure uh, through the protocol process, how long will we have to wait in, t in order to resolve the issue? And I said, well, it's really undetermined. And let me emphasize the point. I filed two uh, disclosures for two separate clients back in 2015 and a couple of months ago. Again, this episode is being recorded at the, uh, the middle part of uh, September of 2023. A couple months ago, I was contacted by CMS to receive additional information from those protocols that I filed in 2015. In fact, when CMS contacted me about one of them, I said, well, I don't remember that disclosure. And I had to turn to my files, and sure enough, I, I had the disclosure file and, and remembered the facts after it was submitted to me. But you have to consider that was eight years ago. Uh, so in those circumstances, I have some, a couple of them, that have been filed in 2015 that have not been settled. So this tells you that it's taking quite some time in order to reach a settlement uh, with CMS. So the primary reason for this episode is to talk about the magnitude of the most recent settlements. And usually CMS is a year behind in reporting their settlements. So here I am dealing with information through 2022. So in 2022, CMS settled a record number of disclosures under the self-referral disclosure protocol, and it was 104, 104 that were settled. And the total amount that was settled uh, was 9,000, I'm sorry, $9,287,866. So about $9.3 million in the aggregate was settled in 2022. So when you take the average, the average settlement of those 104 in 2022 was about $89,000. So it's $89,306.40. So that's the average in 2022. Now, just to get this in context, 2022 was the record number of 104 settlements, but in 2016, was the second highest number of settlements at 103. So from 
2016, we'll go 103 were settled, 2017 only 48, then a decrease to 36 in 2018, down to 17 in 2019, up to 36 in 2022, down to 27 in 2021, and then 104 in 2022. And through my discussions with CMS, I do believe that CMS is putting more effort and resources into reviewing the protocols, the self-disclosures that have been reported in order to expedite the settlements. Then also from a historical point of reference, uh, back in 2011, so 2011, there were only three. And actually, I co-presented with the director of the protocol process at a American Health Lawyers Association meeting in February of 2011 when the very first settlement occurred. And we're talking about at that time that CMS, uh, at least I was encouraging CMS, to make sure that if people are going to be submitting self-disclosures through the protocol process, CMS should provide a favorable settlement uh, with respect to what was being you know, self-reported by those settling entities. So in 2011, with three entities settling, the average was $709,000. Uh, that, that was the aggregate amount, I'm sorry. But the average amount uh, back in 2011, and this is the highest average amount, was in 2011 with those three. So the average for the single settlement was $236,353. And it's went down ever since. And so in 2022, Again, I emphasized that it was about $89,000. So again, in 2016, which was the second highest number of settlements with 103, the aggregate was uh, $6.9 but the average settlement was only $67,601. So you can see that, that the entities that are settling under the protocol process are not paying dollar for dollar of what they're reporting. And I'll get to that because uh, I think that's an important thing to consider about, okay, what's the percentage of what I'm reporting that could potentially be part of the settlement? But let's just look at the highest settlements. And these are individual settlements. In 2021, the highest individual settlement was $1,110,148. In 2022, the highest settlement was $1,171,174. But the largest of all time, and this actually occurred in 2018, that settlement was at $1,196,188. So a little bit north of a million dollars was the highest individual settlement. Uh, and just for kicks, I'm going to say, you know, what was the lowest settlement under the protocol process? Well, the lowest uh, settlement, and this occurred in 2020, was a mere, get this, $33. And just think of the expense that that organization went through in order to file their self-disclosure, where in the end, uh, this could have been a, you know, a home run for this entity, but in the end, the settlement amount was only $33. 
So what is reported through these settlements are the amount being settled and the entity that is settling. What we don't know is the amount that the entity reported as being the total amount of the Medicare Medicaid reimbursement received during the period of noncompliance. So from we could tell a percentage if we knew what the aggregate being reported and the amount settled, then you can determine what is the percentage of the aggregate is is the amount of the settlement. Now, I have researched this issue, and you know this is based upon some anecdotal evidence and documentation that I have reviewed, as well as talking with other Stark lawyers in the country and a couple of indiv- individuals from the government. So there's nothing reported on what I'm going to tell you next. But it is my understanding that uh, my advice to my clients as they're entering into the protocol process is that the amount of the settlement is going to be somewhere between 5% and 20% of what was reported. Again, what was reported is the 100% of the reimbursement received from the tainted physicians during the period of noncompliance. And so once you can calculate that number, then you can expect that the settlement should be somewhere between 5% up to about 20% of what's being reported. And I try when I'm working with CMS on these settlements to keep it as low as possible, uh, to keep it down closer to the 5%. And a lot of times you can leverage your compliance program, the timing of the reporting. If, if, if it came in through a hotline that you were very quick to enter into the protocol process, as well as your cooperation uh, through the process in order to keep that settlement amount as low as possible. But it is still my opinion and my advice to clients is that if you believe that you have a Stark law violation, you do the research, you can't find a a Stark remedy, again, going back to that January 5, 2022 episode, or that you can't say that this is a one-way intent to enter into a financial arrangement. Again, that's the May 31, 2022 Stark integrity episode. Then it's advantageous to everyone involved to enter into the self-referral disclosure protocol process in order to negotiate a reasonable settlement and to avoid uh, what we all know to be a reverse false claim. So if they keep the money and fail to report, that could be a false claim for which treble damages and $25,000 per claim submitted could be the fine and penalty under the False Claims Act. And I do have a couple of stark integrity episodes on that very point. Uh, So it is, again, my strong opinion that entering into the protocol process is the most advantageous position if we truly believe and can document that a Stark Law violation occurred. So this brings me now to the three Captain Integrity punch points for this episode. Captain Integrity punch point number one is CMS is investing greater resources in order to review and to potentially settle Stark Law violations that have been reported through the self-referral disclosure protocol process. Captain Integrity punch point number two is it can be a long process. As I indicated in this episode, I have a couple that have been in the protocol process, accepted into the protocol process, and have languished for eight years, and now CMS is starting to ask questions. So it can be a long process, but it's definitely a fruitful process. Which brings me to Captain Integrity punch point number three. It is advantageous to enter into the protocol process, not only to avoid liability under the False Claims Act, but you can also 
have a favorable settlement with respect to the items being reported. And it's somewhere in the ballpark, as I indicated in this episode, between 5% and 20% of the reimbursement received. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.